Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, it's Gabe time. Gabe Kuhn. Gabe Kuhn was one of the great little trivial nuggets in all football bios. His grandfather was the inventor of the Easy Bake Oven. Like a boss. The best lineman on the radio. Well, the only lineman on the radio. It's game time. Game time. We're ready. The Gabe Coon Show. 92.9 FM ESPN. Happy Monday. New week here on the Gabe Coon Show. May 22nd, 2023 edition of the program. I am Gabe Coon on Twitter at G underscore Coon. 71, former Memphis Tiger offensive lineman. I am alongside the executive producer of the show, Connor Dunning on Twitter at cdunning929. Connor, what's happening, man? What's up, sir? Oh, not much, not much. We'll, we'll talk about the weekend here in a second. Three hours of talking away, courtesy of 92.9 FM, ESPN, and yours truly. Uh, we have a loaded show today. Lots of guests that we have to get to here at the bottom of the hour. Greg McElroy is going to be on the show, former Alabama quarterback. Spent some time there in the NFL, but he is going to be at the Hilton Memphis in not too long. Here in about an hour, we're going to catch him right before he gets up to the podium for the Memphis Touchdown Club, and we'll talk everything under the sun. We'll talk realignment, Tigers, Pac-12, media rights deal. We'll get to all of it here around 4.30, uh, but also Jeff Calkins at 5 o'clock. We know that every single day in that 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, Parth Upadhyay um, from the Daily Memphian. We'll talk some Tigers uh, with him, recruiting trail, is there any smoke, what's going to happen with Mikey Williams, everything under the sun with Park at around 6 o'clock. But in the interim, we'll have NBA Conference Finals discussion. We have a closeout opportunity tonight, believe it or not. <laughs> Two three-0s. Two three-0s. I think people are uh, disgusted with the thought of the Heat versus Nuggets, but at the same time, may the best man win. That's why we play games, and both of those, Heat up 3-0, and the Nuggets up 3-0. Nuggets have a chance to close it out tonight against the Lakers on the road. Also, PGA Championship. Brooks Kepka wins, but Michael Block steals hearts. Steals hearts. You think Brooks is handling that in stride? I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Brooks wins his fifth. Gets into a little bit of rarefied air. Yet Michael Block, who was tied for 15th, is the story of the tournament. I think as long, as that, as, long as that check clears. Yeah, the check clears. I, I understand. He's I understand. High. But uh, Brooks Kepka captures his fifth major. Um, we'll talk about that. Uh, once we get into small talk at the bottom of the second the hour, at, at the bottom of the second hour, um, succession, civil wars on the way. The civil war is on the way, Connor Dunning. The shivel war, if you the will. The shivel <laughs> war! Oh, That's yes! why they pay me the big you bucks. Ding? Come on, give me a ding. We need a little, come on. Yes, the Chival War. <laughs> Chival War. Only only Succession fans will understand, but that that's pretty damn good. It, it, is that right on the spot? It was. Yeah, you, it, is that an original? It's Connor a, Dunning it, original? It's an ridge. <laughs> it's an ridge. Okay. Nice. I, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. We'll also <laughs> hop into the Blitz. Uh, Carmelo Anthony officially retires. We have some Tony Allen news uh, having to do with some legal trouble he's been in for the past couple of years. 
And also, uh, Shimmy Schimbeckler at Michigan uh, steps away after, uh, after three days on the job as the assistant director of football recruiting amid a probe into his Twitter and what he has had to say on his Twitter before. Obviously, he is the son of Bo Schimbeckler, who, legendary coach at Michigan, been disgraced as of late with all of the issues around a former doctor there um, and, and uh, sexual abuse, sexual misconduct. A $490 million suit uh, that, that, that really came out of Bo Schimbeckler turning a blind eye. Um, but we'll talk about that as well and, and why the Michigan Athletic Department needs to get it together. My weekend was fun. I had a time. I had a time, Connor Dunning. It was, it was a good time in Kansas City, celebrating a good buddy. Um, nothing like the, uh, the flight home, the travel day with sunglasses on the whole time. It was one of those. It's tough. It was one of those. My second flight was one of the two-by-twos, um, so one of the smaller airplanes, and it was so ungodly hot in there. So ungodly hot. And if you know anything about being a wide former football player, around 300 pounds, um, you know that it, airplanes are just not the most comfortable thing to be, be on. I have never, it, fun fact, never have slept on an airplane in my life. Well, yeah, because you're a giant human being. I just cannot. Yeah. And then, like, getting comfortable is miserable. I, I just, just it when, never works out. <laughs> when people see you walking toward them, are they like, dang. Like, are you, <laughs> like, are you the dude I, that gets on the plane that everybody's like, please oh, not me, yeah, please no, not me, yeah. please not If me, I'm sitting me. down, if I'm sitting down, <laughs> say I'm group one and they yeah. see me sitting in that, in that aisle seat and, and I, I, I got my arms crossed like that, I bet they have a little bit to say in their head. They don't say it outwardly, no. though. I'm like the that. perfect person you want to be sat next to. But I usually tell people if I'm sitting next to them, I say, I'll try to not be as wide. That's why I take the aisle seat so I can lift up the armrest and sort of lean out into the aisle. I try to help people. I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to be ridiculous. Oh, and usually rules. I go exit row and try to get some more leg space because I can't sit in just sort of the normal normal area. Nothing drives me more crazy on an airplane than people who don't know, know uh, air travel etiquette. It's very, very important. Explain etiquette fully. It's just yeah. like you're not wearing flip-flops. Like, also, like, like, yeah. like exposed to, like, no thank you. I'm not trying to smell yeah. your feet for an entire flight. And then like, also if you're arm sitting rest, in the middle, arm rest is, arm rest a big, is big. If you're I on try, the aisle, you be, lean left. Yeah, you lean right. Like you get you get the aisle. The middle gets the middle, and then the seat gets the far gets the see, far. See the one. middle seat. I try to let like no matter because I usually sit in the aisle. I try to let them get Same. the armrest every single time. I think if you're in the middle between two people, you should get both. You get both. Yes. You get both. I think that's good etiquette. But not everybody knows it. No, and know. try to smell good. Just throw on some deodorant, people. It's that simple. Just a little a little white before you get on there. I'm not trying to smell you. And also like people that bring on food. That smells. It's like, what are we doing? We're all we're yeah, in someone, a closed environment. A tuna salad sandwich. How right dare next you? To you. Yeah, yeah, that makes me want to fight people. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I try to. I try to be a good passenger though. But I was. I was fully sunglassed out yesterday. It was. I understand that. Yeah, I needed to needed to relax a little bit. I didn't. Uh, you know, the second flight, the the sweat almost came out because of how hot it was. But you know. It was all right. I figured it you out. You just get that travel glaze yeah, that, on that, you. It's oh, just that, that one that layer of just like this, thin glaze. Yeah, that's it's sticky. Yeah, you know, it's just sticky. Yeah. But and then that right. Memphis humidity hits you like a train. Yeah, <laughs> it was actually kind of chilly in Kansas City. It was right, it was oh, really? right around sixties. That's nice. Yeah, so I, I, it was good weather for me. Good weather for me. But yeah, good weekend. You 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 have a weekend full of movies. Like I did. Promised? I didn't end up like seeing the movies I thought I was. I was going to try to check out Bo is Afraid and Blackberry, but I didn't get a chance to actually get to Malco. 
but so what we did is we started our Fast and Furious rewatch because Fast Ten just came out. Yes. So I actually haven't seen nine, but we we st- we started with Tokyo uh, after Drift. five though. Yeah. But the Fast the Fast and Furious collection just I give uh, come it after on. seven. It's after Paul Walker. Well, but some of yes, but some of the the the. At least sort they of know action scenes. At least they know what it is. Like they're in he's on driving the joke. like a, he's driving like a, a. I mean, they went to space. Car, movie, yeah, but so. he, yeah, and he's driving a car out of like a sixty-fifth story building in Dubai. Listen, Vin Diesel, he threw a nuke like by himself on on ice. <laughs> like he he moved the nuke <laughs> yes. on ice. So right, you know, see, or not a nuke, but like a huge. Missile, he's picking up so. a car. Yeah. the same same one I'm talking yeah. about. I mean, come on. At I, least I, they know what they are. But no, I ended up watching. Is uh, this gonna be the last one? This is the last one? <laughs> no, it made it made like $300 million this weekend. No, it's not going to be the last one. Okay. But I watched Phantom Thread. I watched Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, I watched Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. And there's another one I chill watched weekend. that I'm forgetting about. Chill yeah, weekend. it was very chill weekend. And you watched the NBA Conference Finals. And, of course, I was watching some NBA. Yes. Um, 3-0 series in both of these. Nuggets up 3-0, Heat up 3-0. I have to start here with the Heat and Celtics because as we went into the weekend, I, you know, the Nuggets and Lakers series, you could talk about sort of a back-and-forth coaches making adjustments, maybe a little bit of a chess match. I think the Nuggets are just a better team. I'll get to that in a second. But with the Celtics and Heat, we said if the Celtics lose two games going into the weekend, Friday and then yesterday, we said it's because they got outworked and their soul is being taken away from them. Their soul is being taken away, has been taken away from them. Their, their soul is gone. They don't have any left. I, I, I saw this, and it's just striking. But Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have had their struggles in the fourth quarter of these entire playoffs, and uh, in this series especially. Peyton Pritchard and Grant Williams lead the Celtics in fourth quarter field goals. That's a real stat through this series. They lead the Celtics in fourth quarter field goals, Peyton Pritchard and Grant Williams. Not Jalen Brown, not Jason Tatum, not Al Horford, not Derek White, not Malcolm Brogdon, but Peyton Pritchard and Grant Williams. The Celtics' best players have yet to step up. And, and I, 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 I say that because I look at the Heat, and yeah, their best player steps up. Jimmy Butler steps up to the plate, has an intensity about him. I'll get to the Grant Williams-Jimmy Butler thing in a second, my thoughts on it. But the Heat's guys, their role players, they don't know any other way. They step up to the plate every step of the, every step of the way. Gabe Vincent so far in this series has been phenomenal. He had 29 points. He was he just un, un emptied the clip. Emptied the clip last night. But 17.7 points per game, 60% from th- uh, from the field, 55% from 3. He hasn't missed a free throw in the series. That's Gabe Vincent. Caleb Martin is up around 20 points per game in this series. Max Struess has added his his, his three-point shooting ability uh to to the table. And you have the Celtics' best players struggling in the heat, all their ulterior pieces, all of the guys that you don't expect to get things done, all of their undrafted pieces, just stepping up. And I, all I have to say in the grand scheme of where the heat are right now, one game away from the NBA Finals, you can't kill what's already dead. You just can't. They're the zombie heat. They st- they have stepped up. They have showed out the entire time. And I, I, I look at, what they've been able to do against the top two teams in the NBA so far through these playoffs, they're 7-1 and one versus the top two teams in the NBA during the regular season, the Bucks and the Celtics. Who knew throughout this run they've had that the Knicks would be the team to give them the most fight? Of all, I mean, where was that on the bingo card? Seriously. At least they got to six games and they fought a little bit. 
I, it's it's amazing. It's amazing to see what this Heat team is doing. And on the on the Celtics side, I mean, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have have yet to step up. But I also think Joe Mazzulla, the discussions about him potentially being fired, they should be very real. I, I he doesn't have the hold on that team that Eme had on that locker room. It's it's just very clear. And I think he admitted as much. Uh, in the in the post game press, and they extended them halfway through this year, so the Celtics are in a weird spot right now. Um, but they're playing like they have a lot to lose. They're 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 playing just so soft. They're not attacking defensively. They're not competitive. They're not buying in on the defensive end. And I, I think the difference in the coach's sense of urgency in the series. And you called this out at the beginning of the series before we played game. So shouts out to Connor Dunning for that. But Missoula versus Spo, it's not close. The sense of urgency is what really shows out for me. It shows through. When Joe Missoula gets hit by the Heat with a 15-0 run, 20-0 run, he doesn't call a timeout. He doesn't try to get his guys to the sideline and tell them about the moment and what it's supposed to be. Whereas Eric Spolstra, if the lead gets cut to 15 from where it was at like 25, he will call a timeout, get his guys on the sideline, and tell them the sense of urgency needs to stay up. As much as the players for the Celtics have not stepped up in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, this this coaching matchup is just not even remotely close. No, and, you know, the biggest thing I think you can look at to tell you how different these two coaching staff are is you look at the third quarter scoring every single game. The Heat come out every single third quarter, and they have adjustments, they're ready to go, and they punch the Celtics in the mouth. The Celtics have no idea what they're doing. The lineups are different. The rotations are different. They don't know what plays are being run. I mean, it's not even that the Miami Heat are doing anything crazy. They were basically like, we're just going to put Derek White in a pick and roll and make him switch on a Jimmy and good luck over and over and over again. And Missoula looks like, what am I supposed to do here? I don't understand the lineups he's playing. Every single game, they're different. Different guys are getting huge minutes, and then they won't play the next game. Rob Williams only played 13 minutes last night. I know that he was in foul trouble. But I thought that they kind of figured something out there with Rob Williams and Horford. They kind of had like the two, the big man game. It was actually working for them, and he just went completely against it. I don't yep. understand it, why, what his rotations are. They truly feel like somebody throwing S against a wall and hoping something sticks. It, it, it becomes sort of corny for me to bring this up, a cliche, if you will, but this series is about will. And yeah. The Heat are willing themselves to every single win they're getting. You, you know what's coming at you. I mean, you know exactly what's going to happen. They're just going to outwork you, try to hit the offensive boards, try to get out in transition. Jimmy Butler at the end of games is going to get somebody in a one-on-one and get to the mid-range every single time. You can, I mean, I can write the script right now, and the Celtics can't do anything about it. Now, what did you think of the Grant Williams-Jimmy Butler beef? They were up, the Celtics, by nine when all of that transpired. They got face-to-face. Grant Williams hits a bucket. And then Jimmy Butler from there on was just unconscious. As much as I like to see guys showing edge, I think Grant Williams in a lot of ways set the things into motion that that got the heat over top in game two. I think it was a bad idea. I I also think that Grant Williams has taken a lot of heat for guys like Jalen Brown who had a horrific end of the game. I agree, but I'm talking about the end of that game. Yeah, he he was the light on the match for sure. Um, I do think that Grant Williams deserves some credit, though. He did show up the last two games. Well, even, <laughs> even when he was going at Jimmy Butler and he Again. was pissing him off, he, at least he was like, let's do this. I like every single other, Every single player on the Celtics is playing scared except for Grant Williams. Yeah, it was stupid, and he definitely gave the Heat a jump, but at least he's given a damn. And back to the stat, Peyton Pritchard and Grant Williams in this series, 
lead the Celtics in fourth quarter field right. goals made. So, I mean, he he's tried to step up, but you you poked the bear, man. He did. He did. You poked he the bear did. pretty substantially, and that's really what set things into motion to get them to lose that nine point lead and ultimately lose that game. Um, so, I I I I have I said going into the weekend, I think the Celtics can figure it out. They can take a punch, and then they'll come back. No. You ain't coming back from 3-0. No one's ever come back from 3-0. It's just, it's been so, oh, three, I because say. they just rolled over last night. It was very yeah. odd, because you didn't expect that out of this team. We've seen them all year. We keep talking about how they're the most talented team. They're the more talented team. But they're not the better team. The Heat are the better team, by the definition of a team. All the guys know what they're supposed to do every single game. They have a game plan, and that's coaching. Straight mm-hmm. up, Missoula said, I did not have these guys ready for this game. That can't happen. No. You're in the Eastern Conference Finals. How do with these the guys better, with the better not, talent? With the better the more talent. talented team. How do these guys not know what the roles are from game to game? You yep. cannot switch up these rotations as much as you are and expect consistency. No. You just can't, you can't do it. And chucking up threes at the end of every single game isn't gonna work. And that's what they keep doing. They, they get blown out in the third quarter, and then they say, we're going to shoot a ton of threes because it worked in that one game when Tatum had 50. <laughs> yes. Now, uh, Nuggets versus Lakers. Did it ever occur to us the Nuggets are just straight up the better team? Like, just uh, uh, without question. I said it going into the series. We have been banging that drum. The Nuggets have been as consistent as it comes in the Western Conference during the regular season and now in the playoffs. Um, and what they've done in this series, it's pretty damn simple. You've, they've made the Lakers run. Yeah. And... What happens when you make a 38-year-old LeBron James and an oft-injured Anthony Davis run? They get tired. It's simple. It's not that complicated. And also, I think when you look at the Nuggets and how they mesh as a team, they're unselfish. They're so unselfish. Nikola Jokic tries to defer to his teammates constantly. That's why he averages near a Uh, triple-double. You look at Michael Porter Jr., who a lot of people get on about not passing to his teammates, not trying to get guys open. He has a career high with six assists. In game three, career high. And then I, I think the, the icing on the cake here, the cherry on top, it's Jamal Murray. He play, He's playing at an unbelievably high level. He doesn't get his credit, though. He doesn't quite get his credit like most guys would in the same situation. And it's cool to see him start to get to his game. He had 37 points in game three so far in three games, 31 in game one, 37 in game two, 37 in game three. You will not under any circumstances, beat the Nuggets if that happens. You just won't. You, don't, you, you won't. And they're a well-put-together team. I've talked about KCP. He had another 17 spot in Game 3. Bruce Brown is I, – I, this, I this show might be dedicated um, to, uh, to Bruce Brown at, at some point. He's awesome. 15-5-5, five, and, five, and in three games, 10 assists, zero turnovers. They just have a team that is completely bought in. Michael Malone has done a good job of bringing them along, showing them what's expected of them, and they have, have captured the moment. And in and, and the end of the day, they're just a better team right now than the Lakers. And the Lakers, it's simple why they're losing. They're getting tired, one, because the Nuggets want to run them up and down the floor. And D'Angelo Russell is unplayable. Cannot trust him right now. On the offensive end, especially on the defensive end, he has no shot. No shot at all. And because of that and the residual effects, Darvin Ham doesn't know how to manage rotations because of that. I mean, he's, he's trying different things, and nothing's working. But uh, Nuggets are the better team. 
It's 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 pretty damn simple at this point. Yeah, this series is almost the opposite from the Celtics Heat series in that there's nothing kind of special going on. I think that the Nuggets are just the better basketball team. They win all the ma- when you look at the matchups, Anthony Davis at moments can be the best player on the floor, but Nikola Jokic is the best guy out there pretty consistently. Even when he had a game like 24, 8 and 6, his th- fingerprints were all over the game. He was getting guys open. He was being a decoy. He was doing exactly what he needed to. And I think one of the strengths of the Nuggets is actually one of the strengths of the Heat right now without Tyler Hero. They don't really have a weak spot on defense. I know that Duncan Robinson played a lot last night, and he had a very good game. He was out there because of his shooting. You see, by the way, he he passed LeBron James and Heat. All, all-time three-pointers made Did in he the really? postseason. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, so Dunk, Dunk is up there now built, in postseason Built history. by Duncan. That's fantastic. Yes. But the Nuggets, when you look at their defensive rotations, they just don't have a weak spot. There's no one there that the Lakers can consistently attack over and over again, especially when you have D'Angelo Russell, because you could look at their lineup and say, okay, Jamal Murray's probably their weakest link, but when D'Angelo Russell is nothing out there, we're basically getting the Minnesota series against the Grizzlies, D'Angelo Russell, it's not going to do anything. It's not effective. They're going to let him keep shooting because every time he shoots, it's like a win for them. Every time LeBron or AD doesn't take a shot for the Lakers, it's a win for the Nuggets. Mm-hmm. And we see that over and over again. And like you said, though, I think it's just that the Nuggets are the better basketball team. Yep. The Lakers are playing hard. They're playing well. They're not doing anything stupid out there. The Nuggets are just the smarter, faster, younger team. Um, now, America, Memphis even, are you ready for Heat, heat Nuggets in the finals? I am. <laughs> I mean, I, I think ultimately, like, I, I, I hear people talk about Boston and then the Celtics versus the Lakers and the ratings and everything. I, I just do have to ask the question, do people like basketball? Do you enjoy NBA basketball? May the best man win. If you win 12 times, you get to the NBA Finals. It's that simple. And these two teams have been phenomenal. I, I'm ready for it. I'd be interested in it. Obviously, I think the, the Celtics and Lakers would have more intrigue. The reason the Warriors and Lakers was watched so much and why the NBA has done so well with their ratings through these playoffs because you've got those marquee matchups. Maybe the Heat and Nuggets is not that, but it is what it is. You get into the playoffs, win 12 games, and you get to, you get to where you want to get to. So I, I think we should care about ratings to a certain extent, but – if you win and you ultimately put yourself in the NBA Finals, I'm not. I'm not here to shoot you down. Well, and I'm going to be honest. I don't really want to watch the Celtics anymore. I just <laughs> They're don't. They're frustrating. They're frustrating. You're frustrating. To watch. It's You're annoying. frustrated. I hear it's, you. It's annoying to watch a team that's not together, just randomly doing things. It's just it feels so disjointed all of a sudden. When all year they felt like kind of a well-oiled machine, and throughout the playoffs, I thought that we had some warning signs. We especially there were some warning signs at the end of the season with some of their losses. But you thought that they were going to get it together, and they just haven't. And I'm just kind of done watching them play basketball. And, I would much rather watch Jimmy and the Heat do their thing and the Nuggets yeah, play beautiful and, basketball. And, and I, I have to give – I mean, Spo, when we Amazing. talk about Amazing. coaches in American sports, where is he at now? Like, that's a real question. Like, how high up that list is he? And then the Heat have sh- showed a lot of, um, you know, confidence in him through the years. I know the the first year with LeBron and D Wade and Bosch didn't quite go the way it was supposed to. He was getting called for his job, but they stuck. Pat Riley, that whole organization stuck by him. Do you know and, the story of that? And look and look where and look where we're at now. Do you know the story? Go ahead. of that story. So, his first year, the players went to Pat Riley's office and they were like, "Hey, we need to fire Spo. We got to fire Spo because I think didn't they start like." 17 and 19 yeah, or something I, like that. I, I, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. By the way, I'm sure Pat Riley just like so, so kindly. Pat that. Riley told all the players to meet him and line up. He went out there and he basically cussed them out. Of and course said, he you did. You never come to my office and talk about a coach again. You never come and talk to me about a coach again. <laughs> 
having Pat <laughs> Riley, Pat Riley. and Eric Spolstra as your top two dogs in an organization is it feels like a cheat code, and it has been throughout these playoffs. It has been throughout free agency. Everybody keeps talking about these undrafted guys, these undrafted guys, which is a bit of an insult, I think, to these guys a little bit. I understand why people say let's stop talking about them as undrafted, but they put in work, and they were identified by the Godfather and by Eric Spolster for a reason, and they're showing it in this series. It has been remarkable to watch. It's one of my favorite stories in the NBA in a long time because, I don't know, there's just something about a team coming together and functioning this way, and not giving a damn about who's on the but other side. But also, of that it court. is it is kind of funny to think that that someone thought that they, that they had the nads to walk like that team had the nads to walk up to Pat Riley and tell him your coaching yeah. hire was well, foolish. I mean, it was probably LeBron yeah, and D Wade, yeah, honestly, but which that, is kind of funny to think about. But yeah, I mean, thinking about the fact that Pat, you, you expect Pat Riley to take kindly to that—that's hilarious. <laughs> that is hilarious. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hilarious. Now, um, Heat Nuggets finals, get ready for it. It's coming. No one's come back from, from 03. It's going to happen. Heat versus Nuggets in the NBA Finals. It's, it's written. It's written right now. Um, but we have to go ahead and switch gears because Greg McElroy uh, is set to uh, join the Memphis Touchdown Club at Hilton Memphis here in just about 35 minutes. So we're going to get in a quick conversation with him before he does that, and that will be next. We'll talk college football as a whole, realignment, ESPN, uh, Pac-12 media rights deal, Memphis, the whole nine yards right here on 92.9 FM ESPN. Guests appear on the Smile Center Hotline. Now back to the Gabe Kuhn Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN. Baby, we took a trip, now we on your block and it's like a ghost town. Baby, where did he be at when they said it? Very pleased to be joined now on the Gabe Kuhn Show on 92.9 FM ESPN. Very pleased to be joined by Greg McElroy. At Greg McElroy on Twitter, he'll be at the Memphis Touchdown Club here in just a, a few minutes, really. I mean, it's going to be very, very quickly. We gave away a couple of tickets on Friday, so hopefully our lucky winners enjoy that tonight. Um, but obviously Alabama alum, uh, part of the NFL, XFL, um, just got done with the season doing that, and college football analyst as well for ESPN. Greg, how's it going, man? Hey Gabe, how are you, buddy? Appreciate you having me, man. Absolutely, wouldn't miss the opportunity. Uh, so you've been you've been busy though, still lately. How, how was the XFL season? Wraps up. We had the uh, the Renegades handle business over top of the DC Defenders. It's nice. I'm to see. so th- I'm, I'm so thrown off by it though. It's amazing. Like I don't know how you guys feel, and I know you have the showboats in Memphis and everything. Like right in the USFL, it it's it's absolutely mind blowing that I went to the Barnes and Noble the other day at the airport and you can get a preseason college football magazine. So it has both XFL and USFL has without question bridged the gap for us football obsessed people. 
And uh, I'm a little bit at a loss, though, because, gosh, I mean, we're almost in it. We're six weeks away from media day. Right. It's insane. It's insane. It it, it, it turned around quickly. But, uh, I mean, we don't miss out. I mean, we have football year-round now. And I, I feel like both, I mean, USFL and XFL, so far, it feels like the, the cohabitation, if you will, has, has worked out really well for both leagues. I, I think the numbers are still up. The viewership seems uh, pretty solid to this point. Well, there's a place for it, man. I mean, it's... For instance, like I was one of those fringe players, you uh-huh. know, like made it made the NFL roster for a few years. But honestly, by the time you make it, you're best equipped to compete your first year because you're fresh out of college. You just played several seasons, several games, had a ton of reps as a starter, and then you get to the NFL and you sit on the sideline forever because they got rid of two a day practices. They have fewer opportunities in the preseason, so there really is a place and a need for it as far as development's concerned. And honestly, like the markets, like I live in Birmingham, the Stallions are big. Uh, You guys are in Memphis. Like that's a football crazy market. I mean, there's a, there's an appetite for it. So I think it just, uh, I think it's a, it's a necessary part of the development process that right now is being missed in the NFL. And, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful, like we completed every week against the USFL. But I'm still hopeful they both make it because it's right. just more opportunities for guys. Now, um, I, I you say you were a fringe player. You were a, you were a higher fringe player than me. I have to say I had I had my uh, little week in the AAF. So the AAF was where I ended up landing once I got done at Memphis. So that hey, was at least that you was had a, a place to go. <laughs> a I mean, you had, like you know. Yeah. I mean, I now I always tell people though I got cut. I, I got I got cut by an assistant to the GM on my way back to Memphis um, before we were about to take the flight. Uh, to San Antonio for training camp. So, you know, my experience wasn't the greatest, but the AAF, um, I feel like the XFL and USFL from a business standpoint, it's just, it's night and day. It's not even close. It's, yeah, it's apples and oranges. Um, Obviously with Fox and their investment in the USFL and then uh, Redbird Capital being fronted by Danny Garcia and and Dwayne Johnson. Yep. Uh, I mean, it's it's very forward-facing and, uh, you know, talking to the people I was with the XFL the last time around, and we were off and running. I mean, we were rolling. And if not for COVID, we were going to be in right. great shape. So, 100%. It just, you know, everything in life's about timing, yep. you know, and I think that uh, the time is now for more live content. Uh, and us right now in the, in the TV world, in the radio world, like we are obsessed with live sports as a society. And there's always going to be a place for it. And it just, if you can provide quality entertainment, if you can average a million viewers, half a million viewers a week, like that's a lot better than, you know, reruns of Gilmore Girls on the CW. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, sure. you know, I mean, no whatever. Doubt. I mean, just, it's just, it's going to do a big number. And, and I think there's a, there's a place for it. And the fact that it gives young players more opportunities to compete and, and to showcase their abilities, there's a lot of late bloomers out there that would be cut and have nowhere to go. Uh, mm-hmm. But now, you know, they're afforded those opportunities, whether it be in the spring league or in the arena league down the road or whatever the circumstances may be. Now, what, what do you, how do you feel about the XFL as sort of a de- developmental league for the NFL? We see Hakeem Butler, I think he was for the, played for the Battlehawks. Uh, ben DiNucci ends up making it over there. I know they can't literally have a, a, a full-on tie there, but it feels like the XFL and the ties to the NFL are pretty apparent. Well, I think it's the calendar. I mean, there is, you know, there's a working relationship there, the people that are involved with the XFL. And I'm sure the U.S. has, USFL has similar ties. I, I don't know, to be honest. I'm just more familiar with the X. Right. Uh, and I, I know that um, the calendar for the XFL, starting at the week after the Super Bowl, 
And then the final week of the regular season is the week before the draft. Uh, that's all very intentional so that guys can finish their season and ultimately still make it to training camp. And, for instance, last week, a lot of guys like you referenced, Ben DiNucci, Akeem Butler, a few others, uh, their first day to be able to sign was May 15th, which gave them seven days before they started OTAs today. So mm-hmm. OTAs are, are well underway. So now that's basically the NFL version of spring practices. So the calendar was intentional to give those guys the opportunity. The USFL is shifting more they're shifting back a little bit uh, because there's not as much competition on television, Mm -hmm. but it does not offer quite the same opportunities to get into the NFL. So I think it's going to be kind of a test case. Are you better suited going after the non-competitive windows in the summer, or are you better helping the guys get prepared to make the NFL leap? And that's, going to kind of be the trial and error, I would imagine, the next right. couple of years. Yeah, that USFL turnaround will be insane if, 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 if guys get signed <laughs> and have to brutal. get in the camp. My gosh, it's a lot of know. ball. Again, though, like, I'm a lot older now, so like I just turned 35 uh, like 10 days ago. So the idea of me doing it at 35, I could never. But at like 25, yeah, I could probably find a way. Yeah, I get you. I get you. Talking with Greg McElroy, at Greg McElroy on Twitter. Now, um, at college football, we've had a bunch of interesting stories. Obviously, I'll get to sort of your employer in the Pac-12 here in just a second. There's been some news there. But what did you make of the ACC and and those magnificent seven schools exploring potential outs to the grant of rights deal in 2020? I think it ends in, what, 2036. Um, what, what did you make of all that news? It feels like it's it's sort of uh, spiraled a little bit, and they have stopped meeting with lawyers and everything else. But but when when that dropped, was that was that a surprise to you, considering the ACC's standing uh, among, the, among the Power Five? They're sort of outside of the Big Ten and the SEC. They seem like they're on stable ground. They are, but especially for the Magnificent Seven that you've referenced, I mean, those seven in particular, I think, are a little bit concerned about the gap that will be compounded over time. Uh, And I think they are just kind of getting out in front of it because the slate, the college football world, is is basically being wiped clean in 2026. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that doesn't mean that that's their, you know, they don't go to market or anything like that in the ACC until 2036, but the college football playoff will renew the 10 conference commissioners that are currently in line. Plus Jack Swarbrick, the AD at Notre Dame, those 11 college football figureheads, they're going to be basically reassessing where the college football playoffs going to go starting in 26. So I'm not surprised to see some teams try to get out in front of it. Maybe they could start their own league, for example, right. prior to 2026, and they can be a part of those discussions. But I, you know, I just don't know what the ACC can do. I, I'm not a lawyer. I, I don't mm-hmm. pretend to be. I like to tell myself I can think <laughs> like one, but I don't know how effective that is. Right. I don't know how you get out of it. I mean, if the, if the, the Oklahoma Sooners and the Texas Longhorns had to bend over backwards to figure out loopholes and come to some type of agreement because they didn't want to go into 2025 as a lame duck situation. And they got out one year early knowing what they had to do to make that happen makes me feel really, really (laughs) anxious Mm -hmm. for the ACC schools that are trying to get out 10 years early. So I I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, I know a lot of people are looking at the fine print of those contractual 
documents from years ago. Uh, and I know that a lot of those schools are really unhappy given their standing and where they're going to be 12 years from now. Now, this is going to be a, a massive question for you tonight as you speak in front of the Memphis Touchdown Club, but where do you think the University of Memphis stands? We talked with Paul Feinbaum a couple of months back right here on this show about what he thinks about the University of Memphis and them potentially being a Power 5 program. But, but what, where do you think they should stand in these conversations? I just I think it's so attractive. I mean, I you know, one you have a football crazy uh, I guess you could call it kind of like a melting pot. I'm, yeah. And I'm, the I've SEC footprint the is massive. Yes, it is, but it's it's unbelievable to me. Memphis has a tremendous fan base in and of its own self, yep. but you have Arkansas representation here. You got Ole Miss representation. You got Mississippi State. You got Tennessee. You got Alabama. I don't know if I've ever been anywhere in college football that has more loyalties in one area code than Memphis. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you feel that way. Oh, I, mean, I, I definitely I, do. I see it. I see it. It's amazing. And I, honestly, I just think it is such an attractive market for, say, the Big 12. Mm-hmm. And we've heard about the Pac-12, you know, maybe adding San Diego State and SMU. Right. To me – SMU would be the top dog. Why? Because they have the deepest pockets. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's really that it's Dallas market, right? Correct. Dallas market. But it, here, I feel like in Memphis, you can, if you were to somehow, you know, fly the, the Power Five banner over Memphis, I think the amount of people that would find loyalty with Memphis being, you know, is their hometown school. Uh, I think they'd still like their Arkansas and they'd still like their Ole Misses and their Bamas and their Tennessees. But, man, I think everyone could rally around Memphis, too. So if I were the Big 12 and I were contemplating further expansion and I was thinking, man, well, we better get out in front of this. We should add SMU before the Pac-12 does. And we're thinking about Tulane, too. Why would why would Memphis not be the most logical destination beyond maybe those two? So mm-hmm. I, I think it's an insanely attractive market and a school that obviously already has great hoops. Not that that's why right. decisions are made, well, but we've already seen Memphis play in the New Year's Six, too. So they've had a great run. I, I think they should be at the top of the list if expansion continues further. And, heck, you, you say hoops doesn't mean much, and I, I agree with you. Money is made off football. We all know this. But, I mean, we've heard about Gonzaga potentially being a part of the Big 12. We've heard about um, UConn in the past week potentially being part of the Big 12. I feel like a lot of fans, uh, University of Memphis fans here in the city, have PTSD, though. Like, right on the precipice of getting into that Power 5 conversation, and it seems that they're always sort of that first cut. They're right on the cut line. Well, it's just, here's what I don't understand, okay? You already take UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati if you're the Big 12. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's one missing there that, that has not only won the conference, but it has had multiple good years in the last five or six. Yep. And Memphis was never even mentioned as a possible destination. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least, obviously, BYU makes a ton of sense because of its national following uh, as a faith-based institution, but... Still, man, I mean, I, I guess I'm. It, to me, if I'm the Big 12, there's strength in numbers. And if I'm the Big 12, I'm adding every school that's a fringe school that I possibly can. And if that waters down the distribution, at least initially, who cares? Yep. I, I want to have 30 members in my league. I think I'm a lot better off having 30 than, I'm, than I am having 12. 
Yeah. And I, maybe people disagree with that, and, and everyone kind of feels differently about it. I think it's, that's what makes it a fascinating conversation, is that if I'm Brett Yormark, I'm calling every single AAC school, including Memphis, including East Carolina, you know, including uh, USF as a natural rival to UCF. I mean, all of those would be on the table for me if I were to expand further. Mm-hmm. I hear you. Now, uh, you're uh, one of your employers, ESPN and Pac-12. I, there's been so much back and forth on this Pac-12 media rights deal. Well, I, 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 I talked to Adam Rittenberg a couple weeks ago about this, and, and he said, I, I think the way this has been reported is so stupid, considering uh, it's just conflicting reports all over the place. What, what's your feel on, on the situation with the Pac-12 and them getting a media rights deal here relatively soon? Well, I don't have any insider information, so if right. you're, uh, you know, if you're wanting me to give and start listing off sources, I really don't have them. <laughs> Just your take. Uh, That's all we're looking yeah, for. Yeah, everyone's everyone's keeping it really close to the vest. Uh, my interpretation is ten thirty Eastern time kickoff times are really valuable to ESPN and to Fox. Yep, and. If the Pac-12 is trying to play hardball and say, no, we're going to go exclusively with the streaming operator because that's going to pay us the most money, then I think that would be a really, really bad decision by the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I'm not saying this as a guy that collects a paycheck with a mouse on it. Like, right. I'm not saying this like that. I, I think, and I think NHL learned this, when you go away from ESPN and you don't get the coverage and the promotion that ESPN can provide, it can really damage and hurt your popularity nationwide. Yes. And now I, but and the, I think the Pac-12 would be foolish to sign on with the streamer, even if it pays them more money in the near term. I think it'd be foolish because I don't think they'd get the coverage that they need in order to continue to prop up their brands. Yeah, and the, the issue I've had is they've been talking about streamers, and they've also talked about the CW and ION, and it's like I don't even know if there's actually legs to that, but people are reporting everything under the sun about the Pac-12 and them actually getting that media rights deal done. It just feels like I, I don't have... You say you don't have sources. I don't think there's any stup- substantive uh, sort of information out there at this point. And it feels like people are just sort of speculating as, as hard as they possibly can on what the Pac-12 is going to end up getting done. Totally agree. I also think it's mutually beneficial for the Pac-12 to be in business with your Fox or ESPN. Yeah. I, I don't care 100%. who has exclusivity. I don't care. All I know is that when I get home and I want to watch a game at 930 Central Time, I live in Birmingham, Alabama. I know I'm watching Pac-12, and I'm probably as familiar with the Pac-12 product. And, by the way, my friends are as familiar with the Pac-12 product that live in the Deep South. I'm originally from Los Angeles, California, so I've already kind of had a bit of an appreciation for the league. Like, I love the league. I think it's really highly competitive, and Team 1 can beat Team 12 any day of the week, and that's what makes it really interesting. Uh, And Team 12 can beat Team 1, vice versa, you name it. Uh, we've seen it happen. Crazy upset. Stanford won against SC as a 40-point dog out there like 10 years ago. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a crazy, crazy league. And I just think it would be really short-sighted to take the money as opposed to the promotion. If I were them, I'd sign a short-term deal mm-hmm. with ESPN and or with Fox, and I would try to make sure that it was promoted as heavily possible and have another bite at the apple five years from now right before the Big Ten goes to renegotiate again. So that's how I'd play it if I were them. But like I said, not a lawyer and, yeah, and certainly not you. a sports media analyst. I just watch <laughs> the games and cover the games. Right. Now, now you you, you are from the West Coast. So uh, how, how did the uh, whole Bama thing 
during your recruiting process turn out? I know we have broken down lines completely. Uh, we're, we're national recruiters these days, right? We're, I mean, everybody's not, recruiting nationally. Um, but when you were coming out, in school. Yeah, I was going to say, not, not when you were coming out, but how, how did that whole recruiting process end up? How did you end up at Bama? Well, it was kind of strange because my mom is from Fort Walton Beach, Florida. Um, she went to Florida State. My dad's from California. He went to Hawaii. Um, and so I, I was I was a little bit nomadic. My dad worked in the sports world, and we always kind of just rooted for whoever was paying dad, you know? Right. So, whether it be the Dodgers or the Stars or the Cowboys or whoever it was. We moved to Dallas when I was 10, so I just didn't have that homegrown loyalty. So I took visits all over the place. I mean, my, my visit list was kind of crazy. I mean, everywhere from Ole Miss to – to North Carolina, to Stanford, to mm-hmm. Colorado, to Bama. I mean, just all over the place. Just really didn't have, uh, you know, any homegrown appreciation and just felt like Bama was the best place for me. I came from a program in Texas that had won a lot of games. Uh, over the course of my four years, we were 63-1. and one. And in Texas, Texas high school football is just different, man. Yeah. Like, we're obsessed. And going somewhere where people were – you know, where winning was life or death really aligned with who I was. And, and obviously Bama was a place that certainly reflected that. So, uh, it was a great time to go. Um, obviously caught it at the right time. Timing is everything. And coach Saban coming in a couple of years later was really, really special and obviously turned things around. It was very fortunate to be a part of, of a great program in my time in school. Yeah, no question about it. Yeah, I mean, you, you you had success at the high school level and then at the college level. That was unbelievable success that you got to see. Now, um, Alabama going into 2023, what, what are your thoughts? Tyler Buchner um, is uh, is headed there. They're, they have a quarterback competition coming up, two new uh, coordinators and Kevin Steele and Tommy Reese. What, what are your thoughts? I'm really optimistic. I mean, putting the analyst hat on for a moment, Bama's, at least for as long as I can remember, has always come in as the hunted. Uh, It's probably been since 2009 where they weren't the target Mm -hmm. of the college football world. And this year, so many people have kind of levied doubts and concerns about the long-term health and where the program's going and, I actually think you're going to have a really hungry nucleus of players. Yep. And I think their young leadership is really strong. Uh, They did not rely heavily on the portal this year. So they have guys that grew up in the culture. And I think the buy-in is tremendous. And so many people have concerns about the quarterback spot there. I think that's a reasonable concern. But I would venture as far as to say, when was the last time quarterback play was a massive liability? I mean, I don't, I don't I, I, to be honest with you, to the point in which you're losing games because of your quarterback play, it just hasn't been something that's been par for the course. Now, they'll, they'll position the players and emphasize the players that will get them to the top, which is why they've emphasized quarterbacks so strongly in recent years, but they've won championships with game managers too. And yep. I don't think you necessarily have to have a future first-round pick to win a championship. Stetson Bennett proved that the last couple of years. Great player but maybe not a guy that's a complete game-changing difference-maker generational talent. Uh, You just have to have him be able to plug and play and do the things that he does well and make sure that that guy is super comfortable. So uh, I think they're going to be really good. I think they're right in the mix, obviously, at or near the top of college football, but it's a tough league. 
And they obviously have a very difficult schedule with Texas on the non-conference. LSU seems to be coming on at yep. A&M will be a tricky game. And uh, obviously Tennessee doesn't seem to be going anywhere at this point. Um, but I, obviously you, you've been around Coach Saban. You know Coach Saban. Is this, is this a transition straight back into his roots and, and all those national championships won um, sort of there around the 2010s? Obviously he's transitioned away from that and there's been uh, national championships in the interim. But, I mean, you've had a gener- a really good quarterback talents. Like this stretch of quarterback talent he's had is unbelievable. But th- is this a transition back to run the ball, ball control, play defense? Well, I just I, uh, a lot of Bama fans asked me that. I was a starting quarterback in 09. We won in 09, 11, 12, and 15. Yep. And that's a, a pretty good run, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Check my math. But I think that's four out of seven, right? Yeah, it's, it's pretty damn good. <laughs> and, it's, and it's been seven years since, and they've won two. Uh, and so four out of seven, doing it a very specific way, uh, is obviously a pretty good hit rate. And I know that you can still win that way. Everyone thinks, oh, it's got to be high-flying. Oh, you got to score points. I can remember back in 2009, 11, and 12, I mean, we probably averaged 30-something points a game, 40 points. I don't know what it was, but mm-hmm. it wasn't like we were winning games 6-3. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> it was, I don't think our offense got the credit it probably deserved, but then again, we didn't want it. We just yep. wanted to get out of the way and make sure the defense only played 50 snaps a game. Uh, so I think that this is definitely the way that Coach Saban's most comfortable winning. But then again, there's going to come a time, and, and there will come a game, maybe two, maybe three, maybe four, where your offense got to go get 40 because your defense doesn't have their best stuff. And maybe the other offense is hot, and the, off- the other quarterback's hot, and they're going to be lights out, and you're going to have to match them point for point. So I think that's where it's changed a little bit. It didn't used to be that way. Uh, it used to be, hey, man, you get to 21, we win. Yep. Now you, you might have to get to 40, and you need to have an offense that's still equipped to do that. So uh, I still think they'll be aggressive, and I still think they'll open it up, but uh, I definitely think this year's team might resemble more of the early Saban tenure as compared to the to the more recent years. And how, how much have you gotten to think about and, and sort of have you heard about the transition away from Coach Saban? I mean, we're, I mean, I know he looks like he's getting younger every single year, but at the same time, we, we got to be getting close to the end. Well, he just took a 17-day trip to Europe. Uh, I don't think I he's saw that. ever in his life been on vacation that long. So <laughs> if I'm Greg Byrne, the AD, I might offer Coach Saban a 10-year contract extension right now because something tells me he's probably as starved to get in the office as he's ever been. Uh, I'm sure he is real thrilled to be around the monuments and all those other fun things that you can do in Europe, but Coach is a ball coach, man. Yep. like He loves what he does, and I think – uh, I think every time he's like, man, I'm tired. It's, you know, this is hard. You know, this is, this is a grind. Maybe it's tougher than it used to be. Uh, something refreshes him. And, and I think this year's team, given its hunger, has him a little refreshed heading into the off season. So yep. uh, I'd be surprised if they didn't have a great year. Will they ultimately win the championship? I don't know that, you know, it's hard to win. I think it, I think it's easy to take winning for granted, but um the day he retires, I'll be surprised. Yep. I just say that. I mean, I just sure. I know it's an inevitability, but uh, I think he's kind of cut from the old school cloth. It's like, man, I've been put on this earth to do one thing, and that's to win games. Yep. And I think he knows at this point he probably won't be super fulfilled doing anything else. 
Uh, and he wants to continue to do it as long as he continues to be successful. Definitely. I hear that. Well, enjoy yourself tonight. I'm not going to be able to make it over. I'll be uh, I'll be on until uh, 7 p. So um, you enjoy yourself. Hope everybody else enjoys it over there at the Hilton Memphis. No, I can't wait to get over there. It's going to be great to see everybody. Yes, sir. Thanks, Greg. All right. See you soon. That's Greg McElroy at Greg McElroy on Twitter. Bama uh, in the NFL played for the Jets for a couple of years. Also, ESPN analyst, XFL, just finished that season up, and uh, college football as well. Now, I have to say, thanks for Greg for, for joining. But it is, it is striking to always see, like you talk to people in the Bama circle, former players, they're not even thinking about Saban and him moving on. They're, they're not even thinking about it yet. And, I mean, this is a guy well into his 70s. I mean, at some point, he's going to have to step away, and they don't know who's going to fill those shoes. So we'll see what happens with that. That's going to be that's going to be an interesting thing to follow over here in the next five to ten years of, of who takes over at Alabama after Nick Saban. Now, we have to go ahead and get to a break. When we come back from the break, Jeff Calkins joins the Gabe Coon Show.